On this week's episode, I'm shaking things up a bit because I'm bringing on my very first dad, Todd Herman. Many of you might know Todd as the award-winning author of The Alter Ego Effect, the founder of The 90 Day Year, author of the children's book, My Super Me, or just as a secret weapon behind many of the professional and Olympic athletes out there. Todd's dedicated the past 23 years to creating systems, programs, and coaching the world's elite athletes, leaders, and public figures. He's been featured on the Today Show, Sky Business, CBS Sports, NFL Films, and the New York Times. Todd is extremely good at helping ambitious people calm their minds and master their inner voice. And I know that personally because I have been working with Todd for the last three years. But most importantly, he's the husband to Valerie, a dad to three little kids, Molly, Sophie, and Charlie. And today I'm really excited to share this episode because I get to bring out the parent and dad side of him. Normally, we hear about Todd as the mindset coach or the systems guy, but today we're going to hear about Todd as the dad. We're going to talk about parenting and how he parents to build tough, meaning independent and resilient kids. We discuss the four questions he asks his kids daily, how we can reframe our mindset on how we communicate with our kids about outcomes in order to build more emotionally and mentally centered individuals, and how we as moms can differentiate our identities in order to thrive in our different roles, whether that be as a mom, a wife, a CEO, etc. I could literally listen to this episode over and over and keep pulling out new aha moments, so I hope you enjoy it and learn something new too. Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Hey mommies, have you left a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts yet? For the month of October and November, I'm running a special little contest. So if you leave me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and take a screenshot of that review and DM it to me on Instagram at mommies on a call or post it in my free Facebook group, Modern Business Mamas, you can be entered to win a free Erin Condren petite planner bundle filled with some of my favorite planners and journals to help you stay accountable and organized for 2021. So head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating or a review, screenshot your review, send it to me or post in the group and you'll be entered to win. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome mommies back to mommies on a call. I am super excited because today I'm actually bringing on the very first dad on the show. Todd, do you know you are my first dad? This is kind of a big moment for the show. So I know it's called mommies on a call, but I thought you were the perfect person to bring on for this very subject we're going to go into. 
I've known you for a few years now, and you've seen me go from one kid to two kids to three kids. And actually, I was pregnant at both of your live events. So I think you see me through like every single phase. And I'm a little nervous right now because I feel like I'm in the Wizard of Oz and unveiling what's behind the curtain. Like what's this secret person behind a lot of the stuff that's gone on in my life. So yeah, welcome, Wizard Todd. Yeah, well... It's you're placing such a huge expectation that I deliver some sort of massive results or meaningful stuff to everyone. But, oh, it's a pleasure. It's fun to get on here and jam with you and hopefully give people some perspective on from a from a dad side of things. So on that note, what is your biggest dad win of the week? And if you say it was teaching Charlie how to suck a noodle up his nose, the conversation's (laughs) over. Yes, Stephanie's referring to the fact that I posted a video of me teaching my son, Charlie, how to suck a spaghetti noodle up his nose, which I think every good parent should teach their kid to do. No, I'd say biggest win of the week with my kids would be, actually, I'd say my kids noticing the fact that my birthday is actually this week. And you know what little kids are like? They're always asking you for gifts and presents and birthday this and birthday that. And this is the first year that both my daughters, Molly and Sophie, asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And so I just feel like they're progressing now as to like self-aware kids and, and wanting to do for us what we do for them every week. So that's, that feels like a win. What do you think Charlie will actually give you? Probably a dirty diaper. That's probably what he'll give me. <laughs> So to give the audience a little bit of context, because that's your favorite word is context. Give us a little bit of background about your family structure, number of kids, ages, and the role you and your wife play in parenting. Yeah. So, well, Molly is seven and a half. Sophie is six and a bit. They're only about 15 and a half months apart from each other. So we had them pretty close together. You know something about that as well. And nothing and, at all. <laughs> and and then our little guy, Charlie, he is three and a half. He'll be turning four in a few months here, but yeah, so he's a couple years behind the girls. And then the, the kind of role in the roles in the family, well, COVID has definitely changed up some of the role stuff as well. Like Valerie, my wife has definitely had to shoulder a very heavy load when it comes to the homeschooling that had to happen because we're based in New York City. Right now, we're actually taking refuge up in Canada for a little while because up here, schools are open and we get all that nice support. And I got my family up here because I'm originally Canadian. But my wife shoulders a lot of the kind of, I would say, traditional kind of roles that happen inside of a, a family. And it's, I don't know what it's like inside of your family, but I end up playing the role of fairly solid disciplinarian amongst the kids. And so you're the my- bad cop. Yeah, I can play that one, I guess, the most amongst them. But that's because my cop seems to get through. My, now, Valerie says that it's because I've got a deep voice. And she's found all this research to, to say, like, kids respond to a deeper, more resonant, bass-like voice, which probably is, there's probably truth in that. Now, I'm also perceived sometimes as the fun one, too, mm-hmm. because I get them to do all the wacky stuff, like all the crazy stuff as well. And that's where I think we could have some maybe interesting conversation around roles. And I think it'd be maybe, I mean, you, I know you did this in the, in the bio, but again, my context is, I mean, I, I do mental game stuff. I mean, this is what I do is, is work with, I started out working with young teenage kids and, and some of the expertise that I developed is, is that of roles and, and helping people to shape their, what I call their performance identity. You know, we use alter egos to do that and, and whatnot. And, and one of the things that traps many people is, 
the societal tropes and memes about uh, what it means to be a mom, like insert the name of role. And then we start acting through these roles very unconsciously. And then it kind of traps us in these experiences of family life, home life, business, whatever, that doesn't serve us at our core. Like we just, it, that's what I think is very frustrating for a lot of women. And I know my wife and I have these conversations all the time. And I think it's a really challenging thing for really women to have to try to be from society does this or culture be perfect in all these different spaces. And it, it's, it's a challenge and it's something that's called role conflict. That right. Is, and is I wanted to talk actually more about that before we get into it, because I did want to bring that up about like studies that have come out recently from McKinsey about the role of the mom in the workplace and how things are changing. And along with even your study you did on women CEOs versus male CEOs and how they're reacting. But let's step back a moment. And just to give more context, you wrote a book called The Alter Ego Effect, and you have been studying this for years and years and years. To the moms out there who might not know what this is all about, obviously well-versed in it, give us a little bit of a high-level review of what is the alter ego effect and how you came up with this concept. So the alter ego is a a mental model that all of us live through because we all use it when we're kids, when we're, you know, trying on new identities to see what we can do, like the little kid playing Superman or Spider-Man and seeing how far they could jump off the couch when they have their superhero qualities and attributes, or when we, you know, grow a little bit older and we start playing through the identity of our favorite sports hero, or we dance through the favorite dancer that we might like or something like that if, if kids are in those classes. And it's our way of disassociating ourselves from what we think as our own story, our own narrative, our own attributes, you know, qualities and skills, and stepping into this more empowering version of ourselves to help us unlock more of what we can do. And we do this very naturally. Every human being does this. And then as we grow older, our frontal lobe, you know, the the reasoning and thinking part of our brain really starts to take over. And we we judge those things that we might have done when we were kids as being childish or childlike or something. And that's actually us moving away from one of our main superpowers as a human being, which is our creative imagination. And I stumbled back onto this. Well, A, I used this. I didn't move away from it like other people did. And that was because you know I went through some really hard trauma stuff when I was a kid. And I I stayed glued to this altered reality that I try to create in my mind because of just the the difficulty of trying to navigate that trauma. And I used alter egos to help me to still pursue the goals that I wanted in life, even though my own identity was very challenged with my belief in myself, you know, confidence and things. And then when I started getting into and building this business, which started back in 97, I graduated through the ranks of working with different athletes until I got to pro athletes, Olympic athletes. And there was this constant theme that they would use or bring up in our conversations around having a persona that they would play through or compete through or alter ego or a secret identity or a performance identity. And those were all things that I used. Early on, I would just say, oh, that's amazing. I did the exact same thing. And then it was one particular swimmer for the U.S. Olympic team that I was preparing for the Athens games in 2003. The games were in 2004, but a year out, we were doing some prep work and she mentioned her alter ego and just all these things clicked in my head of all these past conversations. I said, wait a second, this is an actual thing. Like this is a real tool that people are using. It's not just a coincidence. And I went through all my data, all my spreadsheets of clients that we tracked their performance and the ones who consistently performed at peak levels and had the best sort of emotional resilience, bounced back from challenges faster, all had this concept that they'd play with. So I started building out 
the method to use it. And so you'd said, you explained more about the alter ego effect. And so alter egos are one thing. Now, the effect that I found of it, though, is we use all these amazing little paradigms or we use these ideas to share with other people to encourage them, say things like, you know, you got to be your authentic self. You got to be your real self, right? You got to be true to yourself. And all those things sound nice. They sound right even. But the reality is there's no meat on that bone for people to chew on. Like there's nothing that says, yeah, but then how do I go do that? And that's what's been fascinating to see with the alter ego effect is that when people play with an alter ego, they actually find more of their real self. They actually find more of their true self because it's in the unshackling from your own habitual narrative and story of what you think you are and you using the model of another individual or animal or thing in your own mind, you actually are able to draw out of yourself new qualities that have been laying dormant that sit there. And so that's the, that's the effect of this. Kids do this stuff naturally. They're so much better than adults are. But the reality is that some of the biggest leaders, superstars, performers, public figures, entrepreneurs, leaders that are out there have used this concept and it just stays hidden because it's a private thing for most people. So anyway, it's been fantastic and a lot of fun to, to see it go out there and catch fire. Well, I know like kids... Kids do this a lot. My son pretends he's a ninja and suddenly he can like kick really high. He can do all of these different things. He's not afraid to jump off the couch. He's not afraid to do these things. Yeah. Why do you think we lose this sort of side of us? And how can we keep our kids keeping their imagination going so that they develop this kind of on their own? And how do you raise a child? I know you wrote a book, My Super Me. My son absolutely loves that Mm -hmm. kind of confronting, you know, that fear. But how can we keep that creative imagination going in our kids? Two things. Well, three things, actually, sorry. One is, what do you think about how do we access someone's brain? Like, how do we, you know, to use a term that would be used to say, how do we hack into their mind kind of thing? The way that we do that is questions. That's one of the ways that we do that. And so we as parents need to get really good at asking our kids better questions. And so because I'm someone who I'm a purveyor of this, you know, training, I'm always asking the kids more about how to access their creative imagination, you know, like, you know, oh, you know, who would, who could help you do this? And it's a question that's important to ask because we all know anyone that's, you know, you that's listening, you know, the importance of having great friends, great allies, great mentors, around you to help you just navigate life and go to with questions. And, you know, the quality of those people helps us to build a more quality life. You know, that's how you and I connected was, was the same way. And so the reason that question is so important is, is one of the gifts I want to give people is to remember that, yes, it's really important that we surround ourselves with amazing mentors and allies and friends to help us do things, but it's just as important to build those, that mentorship and ally group in between the six inches of your ears. Our creative imagination gives us the possibility to sit down at a round table with some leaders throughout history or some of our favorite people and ask them questions. And your ability to do that really starts to allow you to flex way more of the attributes and qualities and capabilities that you've got that you might not access if you just sat there and asked yourself questions. Right. And so that's one thing is, is really getting a lot better at asking them questions. And in a, in a few minutes, I'll, I'll share with people a set of questions that they can be asking their kids at nighttime or at bedtime as a routine, because this is what we do with our kids. And then the second thing is storytelling. Now we read them 
these amazing books before bedtime. And what would be really powerful for parents to do is to remember to allow your kids to see you get just as excited and engaged in this story and talk about the characters, like bring them more to life. Because remember, your kids are watching you and they're modeling you. And most of the time, the reason that kids are, that we end up losing this, you asked that question, how, why do we lose this? Well, it's because our frontal lobe allows us to start developing forethought, okay? We can now project into the future with precognition and predict what's going to happen. Young kids don't do that very well. It's actually not a big part of the mental processes. And so this precognition starts to go into power. And what we do is we look at the kid who's nine years old or 11 years old or 13 or 15 or 17, and we see them and they're just acting differently. You know, they don't play the same games as us anymore. Or, you know, we look at our parents and they're more serious and more logical. And we think that that's the way that we're supposed to be. And so we start acting into these models of what we think the world is about. And yet we're just given really bad models. Interesting. And so re- yeah, I was going to say, I find myself saying a lot to my five-year-old, don't do that. A five-year-old wouldn't do that. But yeah. what's to say a five-year-old would or wouldn't? And instead, we're almost like forcing ideals upon them on how we think they should be acting. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, just because we look at it and we go, like, that's such a idiot thing to do. Like, that's why, like for me, like you were joking about me, me putting the spaghetti noodle up Charlie's nose. Right. And it's like, yes, that, yeah, I I joked that I was getting the parenting of the year award when I was doing that, but it's, it's about, I want my kids to see that it's okay to still be playful. And the reality is all the people who are out there that can't shove a spaghetti noodle up their nose are really not leading the most fun life. Okay. So that's my frame on the world, whether that's true or not. But it's just so important that that's why going back to when you're reading these stories to the kids, because again, stories are another way that we make sense of the world. So when you're a parent and you're getting just as engaged with the story, what you're doing is you're sending them a signal that it's okay and that it's right. Even mom and dad love these stories. And that's really important. And to, even if they have a favorite show, get engaged with the show too. Like talk about those characters with those, with them too. Like our, my kids, Paw Patrol is a popular one and you would know that too. And other parents have got young kids know Paw Patrol, how important that is as a, a show. And I joke around with them all. The time. I'm like, oh, isn't Rubble's the one who wears the police uniform, right? And they're like, no dad, that's Chase. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, yeah. And then Marshall is the one who can swim in the water really well. And they're like, no, that's Zuma, dad. We've told you a million times, right? So just the fact that you're taking an interest in their stuff helps. And then the third thing, which I've kind of already already mentioned is is the modeling, is is showing up this way. Like we're in a month right now. So we're in the month of October and it's it's my favorite month of the year because it has my favorite day of the year, which is Halloween. And Halloween for me has always been, I'm an extroverted person. I'm gregarious. And I've always thought that Halloween is the night of the year that everyone else gets invited to my party that I have the rest of the year. Like everyone, when you put on a uniform, you put on a costume, whatever. And now all of a sudden, what do you do? You start acting a little bit differently, seeing a little bit more, you know, playful or fun or gregarious or whatever the case is, which actually gets to the point of my book, The Alter Ego Effect, the power of, because one of the principles in it is the power of a uniform, how it activates new traits within you. And so I tell people, I'm like, okay, so you've got on the lion outfit or the witch's outfit or the vampire outfit and you're acting this way. Now, is that you being disingenuous? No. What it's actually doing is it's actually, it's actually freeing you to bring out another side of yourself. So, you know, for kids, 
allowing them to continue to play dress up as long as they want. I mean, never, never losing that, that power, that ability is important. And also, I know you talk a lot about totems, but my son will carry around, like he'll just wear on top of his normal clothes, like a belt that has like foam nunchucks on it and then, or a sword. And he just thinks he's more powerful. I'm like, yeah. uh, those are foam. Don't, don't do anything. <laughs> but I realized, wow, I am stunting his creativity yeah, and yeah. imagination because he thinks he is a ninja and in charge yeah. in daily life when he wears those things. So yeah. And now one, one way that you can turn that for him is because we do this with totems and artifacts. We give it some of our power, right? So he feels he's more powerful when he's carrying his nunchucks, okay? His Nerf nunchucks or whatever they are. And then what you do is when you're out with him and if he does something that's brave or courageous, because again, kids do this and they're very transparent about why they're doing it, where he's wearing it because it, for him, it helps him feel like he's more confident and courageous, Okay he's not going to say confident because that's not really their word, but bravery and courage, they know that one. And so when you're out with him, when you notice him doing something that is pushing his comfort zone or is a challenging thing, let him know it's like, dude, do you see how courageous you were? And you didn't even have your nunchucks with you so that you can reinforce his identity when he's not wearing the uniform, that he's, that he's already courageous or that he's built his courage or he's built his bravery or he's built his ability to make friends or approach other people because it actually honors one of the, the key ideas of developing our own identities, which was summarized really beautifully in this quote by the Hollywood golden era actor, Cary Grant, where he said, I pretended to be somebody I wanted to be and I finally became that person or he became me, but we met at some point. And what he was talking about in an interview right before he passed away was how he really created this debonair and charismatic human being because he was a very insecure person. He developed, or he not developed, but he battled depression a lot of his life, but that's who he really wanted to be. And so he acted into that person. And so because your kids are acting into qualities, that's, they're, trying to, they're just trying to develop themselves. They're trying to make a sense of the world. I mean, that's what my, my kid's book is all about, my super me, around how, listen, you're, you're told that the world's too big, it's too loud, it's too this, it's too that, it's scary. It's, you know, your parents tell you that, oh, you can do that when you're older. And so you feel like you're operating in a world that's not built for you. And it's intimidating then. And, you know, so I feel like it's my responsibility as a good shepherd to my kids that I'm constantly reinforcing and developing their their confidence and their self-reliance and their own grit constantly. So it's a it's a really important little kind of nuance that when he's not wearing his stuff, notice the things that he thinks he has when he is wearing it. That's good advice. And then you said you had questions that you you yeah. go through with your kids at night. What are those questions? Well, the purpose of the questions is to help them develop really important mindset skills. So one of the first questions that we ask them is, you know, you're tucking them in at night and every single, every kid has their moments with us. So we ask them, so Molly, what's something that you're really proud of that you did today? Okay. And what's amazing about these questions is, and you can really start asking them at about the age of three, and they're going to ask you clarifying questions. What do you mean by proud? Right. Cause they haven't heard the word before. And so you explain to them what proud means. So what's something that you're really proud of that you did today? And it's funny because every parent at some point in time will hear this because most of us have kids who are going to climb a tree and it's like, oh man, when I was climbing up that tree today and I was a little bit scared to reach for that one branch, but then I did reach it and I climbed up that one extra higher thing. That's when, that's something I'm really proud of. I'm like, and then you go, oh man, now what you do is you reflect back to them 
something about that thing that they did is like, yeah, when I was watching you, I was thinking, cause this is what I do. I'm like, then this is an actual example. I'm like, yeah, when I was watching, I was like, I don't know if Molly's going to go for that other branch. We'll see what's going to happen. And then you did. And I was so excited to see you find the courage to go up one more branch. It was really awesome. And I was staying, I don't know, did you see me at the bottom of the tree? Cause I had the biggest grin on my face. Like that for them is huge. When they, when they know that you're noticing them, cause they'll, they'll talk about that. So that's one, what's one, what's some, one thing that you're proud of today? Another question to ask them is what's one thing that you're grateful for? Getting them to learn the skill of gratitude. So what's one thing that you're grateful for? And even though, (laughs) because this is a common theme with our kids anyway, they can fight like cats and dogs with each other. They'll say that they're grateful for something that one of their siblings did, or they're grateful for their family, or they're grateful for whatever. And you do have to seed them because they end up kind of giving you the same answers pretty much every day. And so you got to teach them about gratitude, like what gratitude, it's just, it just opens up a conversation for you. Like you can be grateful for the book that you read. You can be grateful for the food or the the muffins that grandma made for you or whatever. Like, so that's, that's really important is developing that. The next one is, and this one's really important to anesthetize your kids to this idea because it grips most people is what's something that you failed at today? We want to ask them fail questions because most people's association with failure is it's negative and yet it's not because all of us know now that we're more mature, we know that failure is where we learned the most or where we like doubled down on ourselves and we overcame something. So if you ask my kids this question or if my kids asked you a question, this question, because they do this to people, they'll say, what, what's something that you failed at today? And if, some, <laughs> some, if someone says uh, nothing, then, because Molly has done this to people point blank, and she says, "Well, that was a wasted day, wasn't it?" Because <laughs> that's my response back to them. Huh. If you haven't tried something new today that you failed at, whether it's failed at initially and then you overcame it, or failed at it and you got to try and conquer it again tomorrow, then in in my view, then yeah, it was a bit of a wasted day for you. How do you talk to them about that without making them feel bad about it? Like a failure, I don't want to say like, oh, you failed at that. You know, you're not good enough. I don't want it to come across as that. So how do you round out that question? Yeah. So I'm like, hey, are you failing? Like I grin. So because we're at playgrounds all the time, right? I'm like, ooh, that was a good failure. Hey, (laughs) like if they like, you know, so monkey bars as they're climbing across the monkey bars, if they didn't make it to the end, I'm like, oh, that was a really good failure. That was a really good failure. Like, it's just, it's so positive. It's the framing of it in a very positive way. Because for them, they know that for us, failure means the attempt and the trying. That's what you're, you're attempting and you're trying and you're pushing yourself. Like, that's the frame. That's what's really important. It's a good question to ask because it's, if you frame it in the wrong way, then yeah, they could feel judged by it. But just so you know, too, like, Everyone has to understand that even when we're teaching ideals to other people, there's still an element of judgment to that, right? Everyone's so concerned about trying to remove all judgment from speech. And it's like, that is like the most impossible task. Now it's the quality of the judgment. So for me, it's like, oh, that was such a good failure, Mal. Like they just, they don't, they just don't have the same relationship with the word as other kids do. Because I've heard, I've, I mean, I've had these conversations with other parents on the playground. He's like, wait, did you just tell your kids that they're failing? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. We tell them that every day. Does Val do that too? I, and I'm curious because, 
you know, hanging out around a lot of moms, it, it's a different attitude. Even the way my husband and I speak to our children and the way, like when Chase was learning how to ride a bike, I would cringe every time I would see him almost fall or he'd hit his knee. I'm like, oh, it's sure. okay, honey, let's go home. I'll get you better. And Mike, on the other hand, is like, no, get up. You're fine. Let's yeah. do this. Trust me, when you get it, you're going to feel so good when you're riding that bike super fast. And I'm yeah. here going, he's bleeding. Like, it's <laughs> it's a total difference. And so yeah. I'm curious, you're a dad saying that. How does Val react? Val's, we are on the exact same page. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she is. Now, would would she, like she learned it more from definitely being around me again, like this is my kind of wheelhouse of expertise. So she sort of trust, I mean, she's, and I mean, A, I, I married my biggest fan. So I'm super lucky that way. So she defaulted into understanding, okay, I'll follow along with Todd, but she's a very smart. I mean, she's got a graduate degree from Georgetown. She's smart, but it's that when given the two options of sort of babying them versus the, the other way, She's like, well, this other, we get a way better result when we don't baby them this way. And, and she did it very naturally too. Like when the kids would fall down, she's like, oh, that was a good fall. Or, you know, and of course it's all context. Like if they have a really serious injury, then we know that we're not idiots when it comes to that side of things. But no, she's, we're very much on the same page with it. I'm probably just, I might be just a little bit, I'm not going to say better, but I'm just more advanced because of my coaching background of being very disciplined with me constantly recognizing when they're showing up with the qualities that I know are going to help them in the future, reinforcing them immediately. Like speaking them, this is a really other important thing that I'll get to in a second. And so make sure I don't forget, which is the importance of the context between outcome and process when talking to kids. So I just want to make sure that we wrap up the whole talk about failure. And, and so, Hey, it's just a really encouraging way to like talk to kids about failure. What's something that you failed at today? You know, and it could be like, well, I was really trying hard with keeping my crayon between the lines. And then if you're there reinforcing it to them by saying, yeah, I saw you really working hard at that. You're really focusing on that in really important words, which I'll get to in a second as to why you say really working hard. And then the fourth question so I say, we ask them, you know, what's something you're proud of today? What's something you're grateful for? What's something that you failed at today? And then the fourth question, which helps them develop really important, the skill of thinking forward in time in a positive way, which is what's something that you're excited about tomorrow? And the really, what, what this does is this pokes a hole in the fact that most of us parents, because this is what it did for me, most of us as parents don't do a very good job of educating our kids on what's coming up. Right. Because the only way they can, I mean, I don't know if you do this, but you know, the only way they can answer that question in a, in a, in a good way is if they know what's actually happening tomorrow. So then now all of a sudden they'll go, well, I don't know. And, you, and then you can say, well, this is what we're doing tomorrow. We're going to be doing this and we're going to be doing that. And we're going to like, whatever it might be. And they go, oh, well, I'm really looking forward to seeing grandma tomorrow. Or I'm really looking forward to going swimming at grandma's tomorrow. Or I'm really looking forward to going to swim class tomorrow. Now, and that's important because I want to leave my kids at the end of us doing our nighttime routine with them, feeling positive and hopeful for what's happening in the future. I like that. We do that about like the weekend, like, oh, this weekend, you know, so-and-so is coming or this weekend we're going here, or even we built a countdown chain for the holidays or something like that. So Chase always asks how many days till Halloween. And so we'll say here, let's create this chain so you can practice counting, but also something to look forward to. Yes. And so that just kind of adds in the physical and mental aspect because a Mm -hmm. lot of kids might not process, like he still doesn't know the difference between Monday and Friday. He knows Friday is the beginning of a weekend. Monday is the beginning of the week. 
but that doesn't really physically sink in for him, like sure. looking forward to each day. So we kind of made it more tangible. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I don't know about you, but I mean, the fun part, we had a big trip that we had to, to Mexico and the best discovery that I had leading up to that trip was we would spend, whether it, was, it felt like it was almost every night, me going through the pictures of the place that we were going to go stay at and all the stuff that we were going to be doing. And it just got them look so looking forward to it. And we started that probably about three or four weeks out from the trip itself. So like what you're doing, the counting down is, is really good. Plus one of the things that uh, it also teaches is just the importance of delayed gratification or even goal setting. Like, you know, we've got an end in mind, we've got an outcome that's coming and there's work that we got to do ahead of time. So I think the, one of the worst things that parents do is they just, the kids just get to go and experience the big trip as opposed to getting them involved in the, okay, well, you're gonna have to pack your bag. So first thing is let's start writing out all the stuff that you want to bring. So that's, that's, that's a good example that you've got going on with, with your little guy. I wanted to ask you back to the failure question. Do you close that loop with maybe giving advice on how to fix that failure or do you just let it go? Like that was a good failure moving on or. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's, those are all coachable parenting moments. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Exactly. But it's the, uh, some of it is just the expectation that's going to be trying again. Like, oh, that was a good failure. I can't wait to see what you do with the next one. Got it. Yeah. All right. You said on to, I don't want to forget about the outcome versus processes or. Yeah. So this came to a big head when I was starting out with working with young athletes and I'd be around these, you know, sports parents that not every day would the parent be at the game. Okay. And sport is very much an outcome driven language, right? We have scoreboards with goals and touchdowns and, you know, everything else that goes along with that. And when a parent isn't around their kid and they come home from their game, one of the first questions that parents ask their kids is, hey, did you win the game or did you score any goals? It could be about the game or the team, or it could be about the individual. So them. So it's like, hey, did you score any touchdowns? Did you score any goals? Did you hit a home run or did you get on base or all this? It's outcome driven stuff. Now, as a peak performance guy, with a lot of like training systems out there for people to sink their teeth into. It's one of the worst languages that you could be developing. Now, having an outcome mind is, is important because it allows you to goal seek and you know, know where you're trying to go to. But in the context of how you want to you know, move forward and grow and lead yourself, it's process that matters. And so I tell parents that the more that you ask kids these questions – what they start to interpret is that when I come home and I tell mom and dad that we won or that I scored a goal or scored a touchdown or whatever the case is, they get excited. So now again, they're modeling, they're seeing you and you get excited and they give you a high five, like, Oh, that's awesome. Or if I come home and I say, I didn't score a touchdown. Now here's their actual experience. And again, we did a study on this inside of my sports company. They're actually for about eight minutes to 10 minutes before they get home or wherever they're going to see that parent silently dreading the fact of what they're going to have to tell their parent that they didn't win the game because they have been conditioned over all past interactions that when I don't win or I don't score a goal or something, mom and dad don't love me as much. Those are their, that's their exact words because their interpretation of mom and dad high-fiving them or getting excited or saying, oh, way to go. That's awesome. Is that mom and dad love me more when I score goals and when I score touchdowns and when we win games, you could translate this to any other field. Mom and dad love me more when I get A's 
Right. That's why you don't say good job. You're not supposed to quote in all the parenting books. Now don't say good job when you do this or like, and praise them because they feel like they have to measure up to that in order to get your approval. Yeah. I I think in a lot of the parenting books and, and some of the kind of stuff that's out there, some people are trying to prepare kids for a world that doesn't even exist though. Right. Now that's not, not my, that's not my frame on this. My frame on this is just, that's why even the failure question, Right, like I mean, where where are you going to see in a parenting book asking that question about failure? And yet, even Sarah Blakely, Sarah Blakely talks about how the one question that her dad asked her and her brother every single night at dinner was, "What did you fail at today?" And Sarah points to that as the most important question that my parents ever asked me growing up because I didn't care about failure. I just cared about moving forward, and failure was a part of the process. That's all I'm doing with my kids. I'm just teaching them failure is a part of the process. Like, who cares? Failure is part of the process. And now I'm creating sort of elements of safety around it by languaging back back to them that, hey, I saw you fail and I'm excited that you failed. And now I can't wait to see what you do next because now they're getting support from, at this point in time in their age and development, the most important people in their lives. So, but to the earlier point, I mean... I think there's there's some of the ways that people are parenting kids right now that are developing really, really soft kids, really right. soft kids. I, I mean, I'm just not, I'm going to develop tough kids and tough kids doesn't mean that they're mean. That's not what tough means. Tough means that they have a resiliency factor, both emotionally and mentally and physically that allows them to pick themselves back up and move forward. So going back to this now, if you're in, what's the question that you should be asking your kids, if you weren't at their game or, or whatever, you know, one of them is, is if you know that they've been practicing a certain move or a certain thing, ask them if they were able to execute that in the game. It's like, Hey, I know you've been practicing your, your bank pass off of the boards. If they're a hockey player, did you try your bank pass when you were out there today? Like, no, 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 but mom, I scored a goal. Great. Was it after you did the bank pass thing? They're like, no, 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 no. And they can tell you now they're all excited, but let them go with it. But just you started the conversation with bank pass. And if they go, yeah, I did. Like, whoa, that's amazing that you did that. So process-centered things. And if you're at the game and they scored two goals, and the first thing that you do when you see them afterwards isn't, dude, you scored two goals. That's amazing. Instead, compliment them on something that they did during the process of scoring the goal. So it's instead, it's like, Stephanie, when you were out there, I saw you do that one spin move where you put your foot on top of the ball and you spun around that one defender and it gave you the opportunity to then get the ball on net, okay? Even then, I haven't even said that you scored the goal yet. Because you did that, it gave you the opportunity to then kick the ball on net. All things that who can control? Stephanie. Right. Whether the goalie saved it or not, I'm more excited about the fact that you did the thing that you've been practicing. You finally executed it in a game. And then they'll always be like, yeah, and I scored the goal, mom. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was more excited about the fact that you did the thing. And then, because this is the feedback I get, because parents go and do that. And they go, my kid keeps on bringing it back to outcome. And I'm like, yes, because they've been trained to think that way. Because they're trying to recenter you to the fact that, you've, that they scored the goal. And your job is to recenter them towards process. So just because they try to bring it back towards the fact that they scored a goal or a touchdown or something like that, or they got an A, you're going to say, yeah. And what's amazing is seeing you for the last two weeks really work on your flashcards every single night because we want to instill in them the power of their work ethic. 
all things that they can control. And when you do that, you've got a more emotionally and mentally centered individual. And I think actually now all of that can transition and apply (laughs) to the mommy mindset because I feel like just hearing all that, like about failure and talking about the process, I feel like as a mom, we also in our role are hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. and we all see this as outcome driven. Like, you know, what, what are our children is our like output, I guess, our production. And so I wanted to just talk a little bit about the study you did about you know, women CEOs and thinking about caretaking along with kind of this whole mom mindset like Val, you know, taking a step back and really fulfilling these roles right now in this time mm-hmm. as the traditional mom. And how can we kind of strengthen our own mindset right now when we feel defeated? I know just the McKinsey study that came out on working mothers, it was that there was a significant amount of percentage. I forgot the number. I have to look it up of women who have considered leaving the workforce right now because they have other duties at home. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for us to detach our roles from each other. Everywhere we go, we're always like mom first, mom first. Even when we are in that CEO seat, we're thinking, oh, we have the kids at home. We have this. We have to go grocery shopping. We have so many other things. Is there anything that we can apply in order to kind of shift that mindset and, and detach ourselves from that? Or should we not detach? Like, how do we become a peak performer as a mom? Yeah. Well, again, right there, the the question now frames the debate, right? So are we asking ourselves how to be a peak performing as a mom? Because if that's the only identity that you identify with, so even when I'm a CEO, I'm a mom CEO. Now momness is filtering everywhere. Mm And, you know, that's, I think that's the great challenge that are, that's thrust upon moms over dads. You and I've shared this before, like you travel for work sometimes. I travel, well, you know, none of us really travel for work (laughs) anymore right now, but once things come back to somewhat older state of affairs, travel is there. So, you know, what I was saying to you before in different conversations, it's interesting to me that when I travel, I never get asked the question, do you find it hard to be away from your kids when you're traveling? And yet, I'm around lots of other moms that are entrepreneurs and leaders. And I've been sitting at dinner tables when people go, oh man, you must find it so hard to be away from your little ones when you're, when you go away. People don't ask me that. The only reason that someone would ask me that is a big part of my life or my brand, I guess, is I talk about how being a dad is the most important thing. And so people might ask me that occasionally, but it's very, very rare. And so isn't that interesting that right off the bat, our context of women is that it must be hard. And here's what I know. People are like, no, actually, it's not that quite hard. It's actually really nice to take a bit of a break away from, you know, all of my responsibilities uh, that I've got at home. So I think it's the, the, we need to be careful with the questions that we're asking ourselves and, and saying, no, like, you know, like me with Valerie or with you is I honor the fact that you're not just a mom, Right. And in even that phrase can trigger some people. Apparently, it was like just a mom. Like, doesn't trigger a dad when they go, "You're not just a dad." Like, you need to recognize in yourself you have many roles that you play. Okay, and the many roles that you play in life, when you feed each of those roles, makes you feel like you're a healthy individual. And so, just because the rest of the world uses language that feels like it's trapping to most moms who are also happen to be leaders and CEOs and are also entrepreneurs or also athletes as well, I'm not going to accept the rest of the world's frame that I'm only a mom 
or, and so like, it must be hard for you to be a mom and a CEO. Well, why can't it be the other way around? Why couldn't it be? It must be really difficult for you to be a CEO and a mom. Think because it's judgment. So we yeah. take upon the judgment of other women who say, oh, I can't believe she does that. But then it infiltrates our head. And now we're ruining what's the six inches between our ears because we are jaded by all that. Yeah. And, you know, my, my question back to people on that would be, I don't know, you'd have to ask my kids that, right? Because I mean, all I'm doing is I'm projecting. Now, here's what we know. When they're little, kids want us around all the time but I'm not even going to accept my kids' frame on what I should or shouldn't be doing because it's also really healthy and important for kids to see their parents striving and doing things. I mean, I've come across a lot of people who have been extremely ambitious in their careers, weren't the kind of stereotypical parent that is around for every single thing, and yet their kids grew up to be super high-functioning individuals. Right. And I've met other people who are around for every single moment of their kids' lives, and their kids turned out to be disasters. So I don't know if there's, I'm not, and I'm not projecting on other people. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, really. I am going to tell you about just the psychological makeup of human beings. And that's understanding that we have roles. And sometimes there's role conflict. There's the, the mom and the CEO, or the mom and the professional, or the mom and the leader. And it's when you're a CEO, or when you're a leader, or when you're a professional, be the professional. Your inability to unshackle from the responsibilities of what you think a mom should be doing at the time, like when you're at work, that's your own psychology. That's allowing other paradigms to be falling into the way that you're operating. It's not true though. Like, cause when you're a professional, you can be a professional and then, Hey, on my schedule, this is when I show up as being a mom, you know, from five to five to nine. And then from nine to nine to 10, that's when I get to be a wife, right? Like really taking a look at your schedule because our calendar is truly our field of play of activity. That's where we show up, you know? So our ability to then schedule our identities on our calendar, instead of scheduling activities, schedule your identity. So, you know, in this window, I'm showing up as Stephanie, the podcast interviewer. I'm not, yes, it's about mom topics, but this is, I'm not a mom right now. Cause if you were a mom, you would be parenting in some way. Right. Right. And I think that's interesting. You say scheduling because also, I think I feel like as a business person, as a mom, I feel like I need to be peak performing in each of those though identities. Mm. So it gets exhausting, but also I think the back burner of it's like the batteries always running on being a mom and behind the scenes, whether or not you want to take that hat off or not. So you're trying to run peak performance on each of those cylinders and you just get burnt out. And I feel like that is kind of the feeling of a lot of us right now. Mm-hmm. And so I was curious, you talked about on one of our calls about being average, of yeah. just having an average day. Can yeah. you kind of explain that? Because I thought it would be interesting to just say like, I'm going to have an average mom day. I'm yeah. not going to make dinner. I'm not going to do this, but just explain kind of what it is to schedule average. Yeah. So it actually came up in the context of one of my professional athlete clients where they had such high expectations of perfection for themselves. And I said to him, because uh, he was a hockey player, plays in the NHL. And, and I said to him, okay, you've got three games this week. Pick which game you're going to be average. We're going to do it as a test. And he's like, what do you mean average? And I said, no, I want you to pick one game and you need to commit to just being average for that game. You're not going out there with a whole bunch of expectations that you need to like hit this many points and all that kind of stuff. Just 
that's your game to be average. And I said, you, you got to be willing to commit to this though, because I, I don't want you to be in peak performing mindset for it. And so he picked it and ended up being his highest production night of in a very, very, very long time. And he was like, it, it was freeing to do that. And then I explained to him, I'm like, I couldn't have told you this before, but when you schedule average, you sort of just allow stuff to roll off of you, right? Like you just, you just gave a great example of, listen, I'm not going to cook the perfect three square meal today with vegetables, a starch and a potato and a meat or whatever it is, right? Like it's just, we're going to order in. And because I'm ordering in and I'm being average today, I'm not going to judge myself for ordering in today. Right? Like what happens is you break down all of these expectations and it's the expectations that cause most people a lot of strife with the way that they're operating in their days. And so, you know, yeah. What if you had two days a week where you scheduled in being average, not even just at mom, but like today's, you know, Tuesdays and Saturdays are my average days. Like you don't get the best of me. And then what happens is it allows you to find what I mean, what I care about in helping people do, which is finding flow. Because when you find that flow state now all of a sudden, and even though you scheduled average, a lot of times what happens is it's your absolute best day, right? So the screaming, you know, like instead of being super mom today where my kids don't scream, they all they do is hug and love each other and share their toys with each other every single moment of the day. Today's going to be average. I'm going to allow them to scream a little bit. I'm not going to set the expectation in my mind that when I go out to CVS or Dwayne Reed or wherever you may go, my kids are going to just flawlessly hang on to mom and hold my hand. It's like, no, no, no. They might run around and wreak a little bit of havoc inside the store. Today's an average day. I love that. And it takes the pressure off a little too. Huge. It's so important. And so people, cause I've, I've talked about this from stage, people are like, wait, you're like the peak performing guy. And it's like, yeah, but that's, I'm giving you real tools. Like this is actually how you create it. Like keeping the expectation of being perfect every single day is just exhausting. It's, it's an exhaustingly, mindlessly stupid game. And, and you're playing someone else's game, by the way, that's not true. That's just not, it's not a true way to lead a life. Yeah. Well, I want to wrap this up with a couple final questions. Yeah. Being the alter ego super superhero person, what is your dad's superpower that you gained when you became a dad? So what superpower did you gain once you became a dad? Extreme focus. That's one. The other one was extreme lack of caring about what other people thought. I was already already developed both of those things. I was already pretty good at focusing. I was, I, was, I was already pretty good at not really caring about what other people thought. But all of a sudden, that sort of circle of caring got so much smaller. This is the- I don't this, give an F. <laughs> yeah, kidding. this is this is the group that really matters, Yeah. right? And, and then when I say super focus, it's the challenge with being somewhat of a public figure is that you get a lot of people reaching out to you and you know wanting stuff and that's fine they can i mean 100% they can do that and i don't want people to stop but the ability to learn how to really say no people hear that a lot but when i had that focus of being listen like this is a major priority in my life is being a phenomenal dad to my kids there's a lot of things that can't happen in my life anymore that used to happen that i need to get rid of and so that super focus helped. And listen, at the end of the day, like there aren't that many people who are going to make that big of an impact on my life that I should be caring about their opinions whatsoever. 
So those were two skills that became going into super mode. I also think for when you were saying about focus, something I learned from you is just about the values and how you align those focus points based on your values. So yeah. if they don't fit in that, just helping to create that, that focus. And then yeah. kind of to wrap it up, what would be your number one survival tip right now for moms out there during this time? Number one survival tip. To That's weather cool. this, this period, because it could be the new normal. It could be... Yeah, we don't know how long. So what would be your survival tip? It's a mindset frame for you. And it's that depending on how you show up now, there's either going to be someone that you meet in 90 days or half a year from now that you're really, really excited to meet, or there's going to be someone that you're going to meet 90 days or, you know, half a year from now that is the same, that is that didn't get better in some way. And that's, and this is a really important frame because chaos and crisis is the fastest way to develop anything, human being, a business, whatever. And so a mentor of mine always said to me, never waste a good crisis, never waste a good crisis. And so, you know, there's a way that we can all be showing up right now that by developing that muscle every single day, of being hopeful, of being centered when we're around other people. Because what's happening around us, everyone's, most people are very emotionally all over the place. But if you're the, if you're someone who's very emotionally centered right now, like A, that's you developing that habit, that sinew sits on your muscle now. And then the version of you that shows up 90 days or half a year from now is a very, very transformed individual. Because there's going to be a lot of people who come out of this that are unfortunately not going to have, they will have wasted this good crisis. So I just, I call about, I, you know this, I call it feeding your future you. Mm-hmm. You know, so as a, as a tool is like, the more that we can look at ourselves from the future standpoint of, you know, there's a way that I can be acting today that's going to set me up to be very powerful in the future. What happens is you're actually powerful now and powerful in the future. That's the kind of amazing tent pole that you create with that situation. Well, thank you. So where can we find you? Toddherman.me is my sort of home base on the interwebs. And from there, you can find links to, you know, alteregoeffect.com is where the book is, along with my super me. They can find those books on, you know, anywhere books are sold and all the links towards my social media stuff are there too. So thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Carney. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time.